Welcome to retiring today. Okay, hold on, do oh, that one more time sorry. as Lauren takes a sigh into. Oh, do I need to count in or something? We had, <coughs> no, no. We're okay, good. all right. Good. Hush then. <laughs> Welcome to retiring today. For many people, caregiving is part of their retirement journey, but it can be lonely, overwhelming, and difficult work. Today, we talk about some of the common feelings and problems, plus solutions for prioritizing your own needs and establishing boundaries while caring for someone else. Today with us on the podcast, we have caregiving coach and grief counselor, Kathy Koenig. This is an important discussion today. Also in the room, Lauren Merkel, he's a certified financial planner, a certified financial fiduciary, and a retirement income certified professional. Rochelle Smith is the producer of the podcast, and I'm Molly Nelson, the host of this podcast. So Lauren, a lot of times on this podcast, we're talking about income, investments, healthcare, Medicare, taxes, all of these, these pieces of the retirement journey. But today, the focus is different. Why? It's different because retirement planning has a lot more to do with life than just the financials. I mean, there's six components to a retirement plan, and you just re referenced five of them. The sixth is the lifestyle component, and the lifestyle component is everything about retirement that doesn't have to do with the financial aspects of retiring. We've been doing this a very long time, and a segment of our the families that we work with are aging, and they're getting to a point in their life where they're starting to go through the slow-go year. Years, they're starting to transition to the no-go years. And what they're experiencing in during the slow-go and no-go years of their retirement is significantly different than what they experienced in the go-go years. The go-go years, they're very excited. They're very motivated. They get to live the lifestyle that they dreamed about for the last 40 years, and they don't have to worry about work. But then they transition, and illnesses come into place death comes into place and they start to go through a series of emotions that they've never had to live through before. And that's why Kathy has been such a great partner of Merkel Retirement Planning because she works directly with our families through a number of different venues to help them through the emotional cycle that has absolutely nothing to do with the financial aspect of retiring. Yeah, Kathy ho hosts a grief group and a caregiving circle here at Merkel Retirement Planning. Uh, a monthly uh, caregiving circle and a monthly grief group. And she talks to families uh, the, and the individuals that we work with. And also she meets with people outside of that group as well. So let's talk to Kathy. Kathy is here today. Kathy, you have the title of caregiving coach and grief counselor. How does, how, how, how tell us a little bit about your background. I have um, probably some, something of a unique background when I you know, compare myself or don't compare with, with other professionals. And it's come from partly just uh, my professional background of being a medical social worker and a psychotherapist, but transitioned into health coaching and teaching yoga, meditation, what have you. But then also really got into working in the caregiving field more specifically out of a couple of uh, caregiving experiences myself. I had worked with family caregivers as a professional for a long time, but doing a more long-term caregiving experience with my father locally, and then a very short-term and intense caregiving experience with my sister-in-law non-locally really sealed the deal for me that I need, if it was challenging for me with my background, I knew I needed to somehow make it easier for other people. And so... I began a whole other um, circuit of training and working with caregivers over the last probably 10 to 12 years, and it really has become my love. Yeah, let's define caregiver because you raise a really great point. I think what the obvious definition or what we think of doesn't, doesn't cover it all. 
Not at all. And I think that that's often a piece I have to remind people of is that they are caregiving, even if they are not physically caregiving for someone, if their loved one, uh, family member, friend, whomever, is in even a retire, you know, a retirement community or in a care facility, you are still a caregiver. You're a caregiver if you are making arrangements, making decisions for somebody, managing their finances, um, you know, finding resources for them, worrying, visiting. There's a number of roles that caregivers play. They can be your neighbors. They can be your co-workers. Uh, there's, there are some more intense roles that we play, but sometimes more peripheral, and every single one of them have value and importance for an individual. And we work with a very specific group at Merkel Retirement Planning. It's pre-retirees and retirees. So tell us the most common caregiving scenarios that that group is dealing with. What I hear about most are spousal illnesses, and so, and this can be male or female, so it's not one or the other, but uh, a dynamic where somebody is now ill, and and so the dynamic of the life has changed, that the plans and the desires and all of those kinds of things that somebody has looked forward to may have come to a sudden halt, or it's been gradual, depending on a diagnosis. So it often means that there's a lot of isolation, that happens in people's lives, and that becomes part of really common conversations between caregivers, is that where did everyone go? Like where, all the people too who said, let me know if you need anything, which are, it's such a well-meaning phrase, and we've all done it, I've certainly done that, but in the moment, caregivers don't always know what they need. And then when they do think of something, it's like, where did everyone go? They get left behind. Um, from friendships, or they can't get out and do things just because of the time commitments or just the energy. It's very draining. Um, and in more than one situation, do I find that people are caregiving for more than one person at a time, that they may have already been caregiving, say, for a parent, and now they're caregiving for a spouse. And so juggling that becomes a whole other dynamic. And with all of those experiences just comes an array of emotions. I remember we were working with this family for quite a while, and it was probably about four years ago this couple came in for a review. I'm just going to use some fictitious names uh, just just for confidentiality. Let's just call them Ed and Sue. So Ed and Sue came in, and Sue, we got done with our review, and Sue kind of pulled me aside, and she was like, you know, I'm kind of worried about Ed. Not sure what's going on, just noticing some different things. He's behaving differently. He's he's uh, not able to get around as well. Um, and we're going to go get him checked out. About a year later, eight months maybe, uh, they came back and uh, she found out that uh, Ed was diagnosed with multiple symptom atrophy, which is basically a more aggressive form of Parkinson's. Um, and from that diagnosis, uh, it those symptoms just sped up rapidly. Uh, and uh, Ed just passed away this year, this spring. But 2018 was when he was diagnosed. So she was caregiving for Ed for four years. Wow. Uh, and I remember the reviews. Eventually, Ed couldn't come in for the reviews anymore, so I was just doing reviews with Sue. And we would talk five, six, seven minutes about the financial aspect of it. Sue, you're fine, right? Here's your plan. Your plan's working. Uh, here's how we're going to pay for the care for Ed. And then the next 60 to 90 minutes was all about her guilt. Mm. 
of caring for Ed and the things that she felt guilty about wanting to do. Like she was really active outside before, but she hasn't been able to be active outside. Uh, so I, I eventually convinced her to go buy this e-bike, right, and go biking again, right, get outside. And there's a lot of a lot of things that come with that. One is she needed help caring for Ed because Ed couldn't care for himself. Um, and so we had to find some help to come in to help care for Ed so she could actually live. Uh, but then along the way, her sister got diagnosed with dementia. So she, you know, and this is what Kathy was talking about. There's, there's different levels of care. There's sometimes multiple people that you have to care for at the same time. And it's very difficult then to also care for yourself. And so uh, Kathy's been working with Sue through this array of, of emotions. And uh, one of the things that I learned through this experience uh, working with Sue is that all the guilt that is felt and Sue felt really guilty because she had these other feelings of a desire for self-care. But at the same time, she, she had felt the responsibility and the weight of caring for her husband of 40 years, as well as her, her sister. Kathy, I bet that's a common scenario you've heard of. Oh my gosh. It seems to be the most common dynamic that I hear. And often it's really hard for people to get to that point of talking about guilt because they feel like they shouldn't. It's one of the, I think the values of working with someone like me or coming to a group and hearing other people express those same emotions. They need a safe place to talk about everything that they're feeling um, because it's just a feeling and feelings come and go, but they're, they're arising out of something. And guilt is one of the most challenging ones. If I could eradicate something, it would be guilt because most of the caregivers I see and work with get up every single day with every good intention to do the best job, and they do. But often, they're up against huge obstacles, and very often because of the isolation I spoke about, they're, they're not getting a lot of help. Sometimes, too, they're very reluctant to ask for help or bring help in because they think, I can do this, I can do this. And yes, they can, but it begins to layer one thing on top of the other. And before you know it, now it's like the you know straw meets the camel's back. And, and they'll say, oh, but my loved one doesn't want somebody else coming in. And that's common. And we just address like, yep. They, you, they, and they may not do it exactly the way you do it, but it will be good enough. The other thing that can sometimes be a value that people don't realize until they've had the experience is that with the right person coming in, it enhances everything. It also brings a new person in for the person who's receiving care to talk to. Because quite honestly, it gets a little tiresome between two people if, you're, if, if it's just the two of you existing. And somebody else coming in can really bring maybe some lightness or if it's somebody who's coming in with some professional skills, they teach you easier ways to do things so you conserve your energy. And it also offers that bit of respite so you can get out and do things like the biking. Yeah, you say on your website, Kathy, which by the way, we'll put the website uh, link in the show notes because there's some really good resources just right there. And then there's also how to get a hold of you if people are interested. But you say right on there that you want caregivers to be selfful as they care for someone. Explain it. Well, I think that, you know, there are many things that we can hear about that, that can just sound, sadly, a little bit trite. We'll talk about like, oh, take care of yourself. Like, what does that even mean? If I uh, search for 
um, images. It's always, you know, some woman, you know, on a beach in a lotus position with a cup of tea. And that is not, that might be good on a given day, but it may be that self-care is talking to my financial um, person to make sure that I'm doing okay so that then I can get rid of worry. Yeah, one less thing to worry about if, if that financial piece is there. Yeah. Self-care is having that plan when your you know, clients already have that plan with all of that paperwork in place. That's a huge self-care piece. And sometimes that's somewhere I have, sometimes where I have to begin with people. And it helps to, to get things in place because it also means that there are conversations that have taken place with other people about who, who's going to be helpful. Self-care can be... Yeah, respite. It can be making a plan to get away, and that's okay. Um, I recently was working with somebody who ha- was making this plan, and she finally, it felt like a plateau in over a long-range um, diagnosis thing, and then there was a fall, and now um, that's changed the plan, and that plan to travel has been, as I've said to her, it's just delayed. We're just going to delay it. We're not going to say, well, that's over. Like we'll we'll work through this and then let's find another way to get back out there, but it's it is those little bits that help keep us at least half full, and because the more we are full, the more we can give. We don't we don't really have anything great to offer when we are depleted. Let's talk about the stages of caregiving. You go over this on your website uh, as well. First, people need to prioritize their needs. Right, and and I think when I one of the early stages, as I just mentioned, is like, let's get some of that planning done. If you haven't done that, or if it needs revisiting, particularly if, if as you've been caregiving, you find, you thought, oh, so-and-so is going to show up. Maybe it's a family member is going to be helpful. And it doesn't always work out that way. Then it's time to revisit that and say, maybe I need a different, a change of plan here. And I need that that to be figured out. So that piece. But then it's the early stages. Sometimes when a diagnosis is new and and you just begin to say, okay, so we're just going to experiment with, you know, the treatment plan. We're going to experiment with how we're going to adapt and adjust our life. Maybe we're pulling back a little bit with some things and we see how things go. Uh, it, and it this differs. Um, I was talking with someone last night who um, the uh, woman has a, a fairly aggressive um, cancer that probably won't be a, a long-lived one. So there's less time for experimentation um, versus, say, a treatment plan that's going to go for a year where we're going to do this, we're going to do a surgery, we're going to do chemo, we're going to do radiation, then we're going to do this. And so you can sort of plot things out. In some cases, you don't have that time. And so you just, that's where I say to people, where are your feet right now? Like, what, like, just focus on where you are right now. What needs to happen for the next few days? Because sometimes plans can change very rapidly. And having that flexibility is part of, of the self-fullness, the self-care, and it's also part of the planning. Sometimes it does really mean that you're having to look ahead and anticipate a life without somebody or you know, post-caregiving and beginning to kind of even wrap your mind around that. And that's where, you know, that's where grief comes in. Grief happens throughout caregiving, not just beyond it. And it, it comes in in the ways people 
begin to think about the losses that they're having in their life. Just And it can be just the loss of freedom to go out and go for a walk because you're worried that my loved one is going to fall, they're going to wander, something's going to happen. Um, the loss of you know, where did my friends go? Where did the people go? That's, that's a huge one. It's common. That comes up a lot in groups. And we, we talk through that because then we want to find other people to fill that in. So sometimes the, the way through a caregiving plan is also creating new circles of people that come in for support and in becoming flexible with that. And then working towards what will life be like after caregiving? Creating those new circles is something that I find is really important for retirees because as people age, their social circles do shrink and they, and they shrink for a lot of different reasons. And and part of some of these reasons are exactly what we're talking about here. People go through illnesses, people pass away, uh, and there's a whole level of – there's a whole – redefining process that people have to work through. They have to work through it when they retire, right? They've been doing something for 40 years. In many cases, you find your identity in your work, your purpose, your fulfillment. And then all of a sudden you retire and you have to kind of redefine where you get that fulfillment and what, what's next. Uh, so there's a redefinition process that you have to go through just in retiring. And then as you go through some of these things that we're talking about here, uh, life illnesses, loved ones uh, passing away and going through the illnesses, you know, going back to Sue, she's had to redefine herself many, many times, uh, whether it's her retiring, her husband retiring, her husband getting the illness, her sister getting the illness. And throughout that entire <clears throat> entire experience, her social circles became extremely small. And I got the feeling that she was coming in for reviews more to just get out of the house and have some kind of social setting, social interaction with somebody other than, than Ed. Uh, Ed was really in a place where his mind was still strong. Uh, uh, his mind was still really good. His body just didn't work. And, and Sue was telling me how he would just sit there and watch TV all day long while he still could communicate, while he still could talk. She said they said everything that they needed to say. Right. They knew the direction. They knew the path. They said everything that they needed to say. And it was just a matter of time. Uh, and and she felt guilty about feeling guilty. Um, so uh, going through the caregiving circle and uh, what I think it really did from from her standpoint, one is like situated people going through those types of experiences, going through the, that type of guilt, going through those types of emotions, but also um, expanding now her social horizons uh, once again, I think is absolutely imperative because going through that stuff is really tough, but going through that stuff in a really isolated environment is even tougher. Next stage of grief you talk about, Kathy, is figuring out who is best suited to take to be the caregiver. Yeah, I think that very often there are some assumptions made just even by looking at, um, at a family makeup. Sometimes there isn't a lot of family or they're not nearby, and they're not going to be able to just up and move. Although some people do, they reorient their lives around it and they're happy to do so. They've sometimes anticipated or expected doing that. I have a good friend who did that with her mother for a number of years. And even when her job meant that she had to tra you know, travel across the country and spend several years in another state, she just took her mom with her. It's a really, and that story is a really good example of 
her sister was not necessarily a good physical caregiver. When she would come back to their home base back in the Seattle area, and she still needed to travel, she might ask her sister for help for a couple of days. And there was always this reluctance on the part of the sister or excuses. Or as my friend would say, that's when a fall always seemed to happen. Mm. And she had to realize that as much as she, as it was a natural thing for her, it was not natural for her sister to do it. Later on, after their mother died, where her sister's strengths really lied were they were managing the estate and dealing with the, the financials, the legals, the whatever. That was, her, that was her sweet spot. And my friend could eventually kind of just get back into her work group and know that her sister was managing all of these details. And she's great at that. And later on, when same friend needed to have a surgery, she kept kind of hoping her sister was going to step up and offer to help, whatever. and she didn't. And and she did create her own, like, her, her surgeon um, in Seattle was, like, really impressed that my friend had created a circle of her own caregivers prior to her surgery. She had people in her condo building who were going to watch her cats. She had people who were going to, who could bring her back and forth from therapy. She had somebody who could take her home and stay with her for a few days. Once her sister knew that these other people were in place, then she raised her hand and said, I'll be happy to come and clean. I can do your grocery shopping, whatever. It's like, okay. And so she, I, once again, we kind of laughed and said, she is always going to define what she's best at. And if we try and put her in a role where she's not well-suited, it's not going to go well. And so sometimes we kind of have an expectation for somebody, and, and they're not going to be able to do it, and we need to find a way to accept that. Understand that their capacity isn't the same. Even if we are siblings or family and that's how it should be, we need to toss out the should and really evaluate who's going to be best. Is that a tough reality, though? Because I think if you're married, and we've been focusing on spouses as caregivers, we know other people can be caregivers for someone, especially those that are not married. But if you're the spouse, your spouse goes down, I think you feel, oh, I'm supposed to be the caregiver. I took vows. We've been married 25, 35, 45, 55 years. But you think you're capable, but everyone around you is saying, no, you know what, Mom, I don't think you can take care of Dad. That's got to be a very difficult situation. Absolutely, because part of it is it comes, and once again, it ties into guilt. I took these vows. I should do this. I should be able to do it. But sometimes it's not very objective in terms of like the, what your own maybe physical health is, the, perhaps the size of somebody. If somebody it becomes very immobile and they take a fall, I've heard more than one story where two people are down on the floor and somebody is, you know, you end up getting hurt trying to you take care of them. Hurt. Yeah, exactly. And so there becomes that resistance to asking other people to come in or even for a period of time taking a break and saying, does the, so we're going to use the example of, does dad need to go to this rehab center for a short period of time, work with a physical therapist on his mobility? You can go in and learn how to do safe transfers or how to, how to spot him with a walker, a cane, doing, you know, and let's get somebody in to help with shower or bath time. Um, and just those things that can just make such a big difference. 
And Lauren, do you find that a lot of times people are maybe hesitant to ask for that help because they have a perception that this is just going to be too expensive? They're hesitant to ask for help for a multitude of reasons. One is the financial aspect, which is why it's it's so important to include caregiving in your financial plan uh, to make sure that in the event that something like this happens, you have the financial resources to provide the care that you deserve, your loved one deserves, uh, and to make sure that you get the self-care that you need in the event that you are the caretaker or your spouse is the caretaker or somebody else in your family or loved one is, is the caretaker. Uh, it also alle- alleviates a lot of the anxiety as you before you even need this type of care because you know that it is taken care of from a financial standpoint. There's a lot of emotionality. There's a lot of emotional issues that you people go through when they go through this type of thing. The last, the last thing that you want to add to this is the financial stress of not knowing if you can handle it financially or knowing that you can't handle it financially. So having this part in your overall financial plan is, is a, a really important aspect of transitioning through these different phases in the event that you have to go through it. You might be wondering about your financial plan. Maybe you haven't put together a retirement plan and maybe you, you're not sure if you have enough uh, set aside for caregiving or the right plan for caregiving. Well, here's a great opportunity. You can speak directly with a retirement planner. You can talk about caregiving or you can talk about really any of the aspects of retirement. You can schedule a complimentary 15-minute retirement checkup call. Go to MerkleRetire.com. That's M-E-R-K-L-E Retire.com and schedule your 15-minute retirement checkup call today. Let's move to the next stage of caregiving, Kathy, communication. You talk about a family meeting. That sounds kind of daunting. Well, you know, if you just think about Thanksgiving dinner, what that can bring up. I've thought about our attempts at family meetings, and they don't usually go well. Well, and there are there's some structure that we can put in place for that, and I really like to help people design those. Part of it is knowing who all is involved, and sometimes if it If it's possible to involve the person who needs care, keep them in the loop. You want to know what their values are, what's important to them. What they need may or may not be possible, but everybody needs to kind of be able to say that. It doesn't mean that everything on an agenda is going to get solved in one meeting. And so bringing people together, maybe having one or two main topics that need to be addressed if you can if those go well you might add a third in there but it's like taking it one step at a time and seeing how it goes and then planning subsequent meetings it also helps when something is going well and people have had some success with it they're much more likely to be willing to come back to the table literally and figuratively to to have those discussions and those are some of the times the places where those roles can get defined. If somebody is saying, I really can't be here f- to do this, but I can, I've got money, I can contribute, you know, to this, um, then that helps. If that's, you know, hey, I'm happy to pay for somebody coming in. Or in one case of a, a situation I know about in California, the son was living in upstate uh, Northern California. His mom and sister were in Southern California. And because he couldn't be there, but he also worked in the tech field, he um, paid for a camera system within the house that was, um, you know, it was appropriate. It wasn't in, in a, but also outside, so because mom had memory disorders, things, and she mm-hmm. might wander. Sure. So he could observe from his house. His other sister could observe from her home in New Mexico. And the daughter, when she was off at work, could watch mom as well. And so that was another way he could contribute. Um, and because they identified it in a meeting as a need. 
So it, uh, you know, it sometimes there's a lot of things that have maybe not been dealt with over time that need, you know, that rise to the surface. But putting together a family meeting and and sometimes my helping people figure out the way to frame a question or the way to speak with one another, because as family. We generally know what will activate one another. And, um, <laughs> Those just, are the thoughts I'm having. Yeah, like, just it's good to say. to say, like, I'll help and do this. But what if one person says, I don't like the way you're doing that? Yeah. That's and then all the again, all the baggage of the fact that oh, your siblings comes into right, it, or right. your spouses and things right, like that. Or you always do this. Or like, okay, so. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason that uh, defining your role in this whole situation is so important because not all caregivers are the same. Everybody has different strengths, different weaknesses. Uh, and then there's geographical locations, uh, vicinities that can create issues as well. So as a part of that meeting, defining what is your role going to be? Is it going to be hands-on caretaking? Is it going to be financial support? Uh, is it going to be just emotional support? What is everybody's role? And then that way, also part of the benefit is the individual or individuals who are giving the hands-on care, right? That day-to-day, uh, the, the hands-on love and care don't feel so isolated and so alone that they're doing it all themselves because they've already had that conversation. Here's how everybody else is going to contribute to it also. Exactly. And I think, yeah, it's like one role for somebody might, if somebody is like very much uh, good with spreadsheets or very analytical, it's like give them all the EOBs, all the insurance stuff to sort of plow through because that that's an ongoing dynamic. It doesn't just end at the bills to come in in different rates. And if you've got somebody who's just going to manage that piece, that's great. And I wanted to just double back to something you had said earlier that I hear over and over in the caregiver or the grief groups is how um, reassured um, the clients here feel about their financial well-being. And it's one thing that they, they just know, like, nope, I know I'm okay. I, you know, they speak with their financial um, consultants here, and they feel secure in that. And consistently I hear that. So it's a real strength. Yeah, and it does alleviate a lot of uh, pressures mm -hmm. on their side when they can focus on the emotional issues and the technical details of caring for somebody, and they don't necessarily have to have that weight of that financial insecurity on their shoulders. It makes a big difference. Also, you have to be prepared to update this plan. What are some examples of what that could look like? Well, um, sometimes you've been motoring along and doing okay at home, and for example, but now there's a change in someone's status or their capacity. There's um, maybe, you know, more of a decline, and now it's not going to be possible for them to stay at home. If, there's, if there can be a little bit of research done ahead of time about what are the resources in a community that you can look at, uh, in sort of anticipating something you may never, ever need, but if you've got it in your back pocket then you can start checking into some, you know, some, you know, maybe it's a change in living environment. And I've seen that happen too, where people, you know, may have to live apart. And, and that, that's another, that's another grief moment. It's like, oh my gosh, this is a place I didn't think we would come to. I didn't know it would be this way. And it feels terrible. But how we help people through those transitions. Sometimes those transitions are temporary, but sometimes they are long-term. And, and sometimes, too, it's about giving up a beloved home 
and moving in together somewhere else or, or finding a place that's going to have an accessibility to it. But it also means like, oh, I'm giving up, you know, this home with these memories or my my garden. I've cultivated it for a long time and now I'm not going to have that. And, you know, or a neighborhood where I know everybody. And, and sometimes all of those things can, we can really become reluctant. I just like to help people stay out of a crisis where they don't have to make immediate decisions. At some point, caregiving ends. What does that look like? Oh, it looks like many different things. I would also say sometimes it ends because there's a recovery from, you know, from an illness or whatever. That can be a little tricky at times because now somebody has stepped in and they have been managing your schedule and your meds and this and that and they have learned a whole new lexicon of lab values and knowing this and that or they they've they've changed their schedule to be at your appointments etc and now you want your life back and it's how do you take back the reins how do you maybe express gratitude for that <laughs> but how do you also give somebody back their independence around that. And sometimes that's a little tricky and we don't always anticipate that piece. But what happens more often is that somebody dies and there is the piece now of, of what that means and how that feels. And even if we anticipate it, and anticipatory grief is a very, very real thing, that it's not the same as bereavement, which can be um, have so many different dynamics to it. It is, goes way beyond five stages. I want to dispel any sort of thought that there's a time frame or a time limit because there's not. But it can feel very physical. People can just say, I hurt. I don't understand why I'm, I, my body hurts or I'm so tired or I'm, I feel sick. I'm nauseous. I'm, um, I have headaches all the time. And, and they think, and grief Grief can reside in the body, but it's, it, you know, it can be that you have no energy, that you aren't sleeping well, that you don't want to be with people, that you want to be with people. It, it can look like so many different things. Sometimes it actually feels like relief, and then people feel guilty about mm. feeling relieved. So it's very paradoxical. And, and over time, you know, many people will make is, you know, they will start getting back into a new rhythm of life and sort of playing with that, like what feels good. What can often happen then is that if other people kind of see them out doing stuff, they say, oh, well, she's just fine now, or he's just fine, or they're over that. There's no over it. Um, the, it's about folding it in as a life experience, like any other part of life. And also not having to explain yourself to other people. It gets tricky because sometimes the people you thought were going to be there during the caregiving years now are also gone. And it's about finding yet another circle of people, another community who understand whom you don't have to explain yourself to, whom you can ask, you know, questions. I love when questions are the peer-to-peer -peer contact in the groups here is just you know, phenomenal because I can sit back and they can say, they can ask each other, how did you do that? How did you feel? And no one is ever telling anybody like, oh yes, you should do this. It's like, this is what worked for me or this is why I did it. But there's such um, grace and compassion and openness to anybody's experience that um, I, I think it's, 
you know, it's, it's really a lovely kind of thing to go through and to observe. And that's really what I hear from the families who go through or who would do attend the, the grief group and the caregiving circle is they don't have to spend time or calories talking about the why, uh, why they feel this way. Uh, certainly they can, and that can be a part of that, that growth uh, in working through the different emotions, but they spend a lot of time with the what. Um, and the whom and the things that are really important to them because they're in a, a circle with uh, like-situated people who, who get it. They get the feelings. They understand the why. Uh, and now it's about talking about all the things that are really meaningful and important to each individual uh, as they work through this, this range of emotions. That caregiving circle meets monthly here at Marco Retirement Planning. So does the grief group. And Kathy, sometimes people have an idea about what a group setting looks like, but you want to dispel any myths they have about that. Yeah, I think that there's a sense of, and sometimes I'll hear from people like, oh, I don't want to go to a support group and I, I don't I don't want to talk. to. I don't want to tell my things to other people. I don't want to, and I don't want to listen to other people's stories either. And what I would like to let people know is like, this is not an old school support group uh, that you might think about, that I always try to come prepared with some sort of a topic based on things that I'm hearing from members in the group, resources, um, but also leaving it open to the group to just kind of lead itself, because it does. We can bring up something, somebody will come with something they want to talk about, and what they very quickly realize is that they are not the only one with that issue, or even if that's unique to them, they're getting a ton of support and reinforcement by other people. So it's not about having to get out of your comfort zone in any way. I think it's actually a very comfortable and safe space. And to, to be able to bounce ideas off of one another without any sense of somebody telling you what you should do. We invite you to attend the caregiving circle or the grief group here at Merkel Retirement Planning. It's open to anybody. And if you're feeling these feelings, it's a great place to start to kind of find uh, somebody to talk to. So go to MerkelPlan.com. That's M-E-R-K-L-E Plan.com. And right there we have a calendar and you can see when the next grief group is or give us a call if you have some questions about uh, either of these groups. If you'd like to connect with Kathy, her website is caregiverconnection.net. We will put a link directly to that in the show notes. Today, we talked about caregiving, but we know retirement, it has many aspects and many components to it. We'll continue talking about those on this podcast. It's Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC.